Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. I'm going to start today by talking a little bit about what we what we have been with spiritual formation. We are in this practice on giving. And I'll start by saying there's some unwritten rules in America. You're going to be familiar with these rules whenever you hear them because they've kind of been, you know, put into our brains since most of us were very, very young. And they're going to sound familiar. If we are constantly working hard, we should be successful. That's something that that most of us have been told throughout our lives. Over time, this hard work should lead to more money, more versatility with our decisions, and a greater life for our family. It's all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is often what we refer to as the American dream. But there are some other important questions that we need to ask that come with this. What if life doesn't happen that way? What if you do try really hard and you're not successful? Are you a disappointment? Have you failed to succeed as far as a measure of success is concerned? And what most of us are told success is supposed to look like? Have you failed if you don't fall into that? Have you made some mistakes along the way if you haven't achieved the exact same things that some of your friends or your neighbors or people that you go to church with have been able to achieve as well? So I'm going to leave you with that. And we're going to return to that just a little bit later. Our first core value at Believer's Church is formation or spiritual formation. And this means to become students of Jesus. Every spring and every fall, we spend four to ten weeks specifically focusing on a spiritual discipline with the hopes of taking this way of Jesus and deeply implementing this practice into our lives in a meaningful way. Whenever we talk about spiritual disciplines, we're talking about a lot of different things. Prayer, scripture, worship, fasting, serving, giving, hospitality, practicing Sabbath, and much more. In the spring, we focused on prayer, and in the fall, we are focusing on giving. I'm trying to tell myself it's fall break as to why there's less people here today and not last week's beginning of this practice on giving. Because people do not like to talk about money and they do not like to talk about giving within the church. So hopefully it's fall break. Hopefully it's fall break. So what what does Jesus say about giving? Last week we talked about, and I felt like if we were going to have a starting place, it really had to be with this idea of living possessions free. Again, these spiritual practices are not about information, they're about transformation. So it's one thing to go home and say, oh, I own too much, I've got closets full of things, I'm addicted to my money, I'm addicted to my stuff, and then just kind of leave it there. Hope you guys cleaned out some closets. I hope you guys looked at some priorities. I hope you guys considered what it means to truly live unattached from some of the things that you know that you even have to have. 
And today what we're going to be talking about is the difference between the American dream and kingdom living. Cue the controversy. All right, because a lot of times we believe those two go together. And we're going to look at a passage today that I think is going to show otherwise. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, if you want to turn, that, uh, turn there. Luke chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 21. For me, this is one of the most convicting and also most challenging passages in the entirety of the Bible. Now, you can look up every com uh, commentary that you want to. You can look up every conflict, uh, conflicting view based on what I'm going to share you today, and you're not going to find it. It's going to be very, very hard to get around what we're going to be talking about today. Luke chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 21, and I'm presenting a challenge to every person in here who calls themselves a follower of Jesus, because this is who these practices are for. So this is what the passage tells us. Again, Luke 12, we're going to start reading in verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, talking about Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to, invite, to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus said to him, Watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions. That's what we talked about last week. One's life is not determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Then he told them this parable, and this parable is what we want to pay attention to. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barn, barns and I'll build bigger ones. I'm going to tear down these barns because they're stuffed full and I'm going to build bigger ones. That's where I'll store my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Or as some translations say, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, notice he goes from the rich young man or the rich young ruler to the rich young fool. Tonight you will die. Now who will get the things that you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. So like any good businessman, and he's obviously a very good businessman. This man wants to expand by building bigger barns. His goal was to accumulate enough wealth to be able to retire early and live the good life. Sound familiar at all? It's the goal of most of us to build big enough barns so that we can accumulate enough for the future to have a sense of security so that one day life can seem a little bit easier. In America, we don't only suggest that this is normal, but also that it's desirable. This is the good life. 
This is the way that it's supposed to be. This is what we've been taught since we were 18, 19 years old. Or for some of you, when you graduated college or you got your first big factory job, corporate job, started working for the state, whatever it was, this is how the system is supposed to work. And as you go through the process of employment over time, and I feel the same way, you hope that you're making a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more so that life is getting a little bit easier as you get older. Now, what this does, and this is very important, this shows that our beliefs about money and what we've been taught about money are not only radically different from God's, but they're actually the opposite of God's. So this shows that our belief about money is not only radically different from God's view of money, but it's actually the opposite of God's view of money. So how do we grasp and live out a kingdom view as it applies to our money? Because what we said last week, and really what this practice is about, is building into our lives as followers of Jesus, kingdom investment. Everything about our future, everything about the future of the church, everything about the future of a lost world is bringing heaven here until we're there. That's what your life means, above and beyond anything else. So how does this apply to how we look at money? First this, kingdom investment, which is what we're all looking for, involves identifying the barns in our lives. So I'm going to be very clear about this in case there's just any confusion, because this is not an easy text to read. You can read this text and think, okay, I just read that, but I'm really not sure what that means. I don't know that I fully understand or I'm really able to grasp what is there. So this is specifically, one writer said it this way. So again, kingdom investment involves identifying the barns in our lives. This is where it has to start. All right, this is how one writer said it. And this will help you, especially if you're an investor or especially like myself, if you care about your money. We have to first identify the barns in our lives. I define a financial barn as any savings or investment vehicle where wealth accumulates for us far into the future. It could be a retirement account like a 401k or funds being stockpiled like a wealth building account. Or maybe it's a non-financial investment where extra money gets dumped, kind of like a vacation home. Now listen to this. None of these things are inherently evil, and many of them can be wise investments. A lot of these things, having a retirement plan, caring about your future, those can be very good decisions, and those can also be very wise investments. Just look at the rich fool in the Bible. He comes into the story as a rich man, but then he leaves as a rich fool. He doesn't get criticized for having full barns. He doesn't get criticized because investments are important. He is condemned for building bigger barns to store, and this is the key word, his excess. All of the extra. The key then becomes, in all of our lives, building the right-sized barns. So if we are talking about kingdom investment, 
If we're talking about going all the way, if we're talking about truly building in to our life with Jesus, if we are putting our faith into practice, it becomes about building the right size barns. So this is the rich fool's thinking. This, and this is, this is our thinking sometimes as well. This is what he says in 18 and 19. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I've got all this extra coming in. Here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'm going to build some bigger ones. That's where I'll store up all my grains and goods, all this extra stuff that's coming in. I'll say to myself, you've stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Take your foot off the gas. This is the time in your life where you relax. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. So the problem for the rich fool is not that he has money. It's not that he wants to make wise investments. It's not that those things aren't important. The problem is that he becomes so future-focused on relaxing one day that he misses what it means to live on mission in the present. So for so many people, their future... I heard John Piper give a message on this years ago. I think he actually called it, Don't Waste Your Life. But the analogy that he used were seashells. I believe there was this couple in Minnesota. And this couple in Minnesota, they had made the decision all of their lives. They had wanted to retire, wanted to move to Florida and collect seashells. And that's the way that they looked at things. So they worked their rear ends off for years, investing, building up their wealth, trying to do as well as they could to one day leave the cold of Minnesota Go to Florida, live the good life, and collect seashells. And do you want to know what Piper then said when he faced the crowd? Don't waste your life. It's a complete waste. It's like, who cares about seashells? Who cares about all of the travel that you can do? What does that have to do at all? With an eternal mindset. And I know for so many of you in here, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm breaking the rules. I'm breaking the rules based on everything that you've been taught about what's smart to do with your life. But do you think Jesus cares a bit about stockpiling? Do you think Jesus cares a bit about how relaxing one day you're going to be, or how relaxed you'll be whenever you're able to retire? So it's all about building the right size barns. Kingdom living, please understand this. Kingdom living is not about getting old and comfortable. It's not. Instead, it's about making investments that bring others to the saving knowledge of King Jesus. And that's everything. That's why you're here. That is why you're here. So from the time that you're 25, you reach 40, you get to your late 50s, you recognize that retirement is right around the corner. For some of you, you're working into your 70s, maybe even your 80s. The question is this, how are you building up the kingdom, not how are you in the future making things more comfortable for yourself? The word comfort should never be used in this lifestyle whatsoever. Because if you are following Jesus, you are constantly being pushed out of that kind of comfort. So are you making 
financial decisions today to impact the eternity of others? Are you investing in mission or are you investing in yourself? Listen, this is radical. I get it. I get it. It's not what you expected to hear. And let me be clear about this. I have some barns. My guess is that 75% of the people or better in this room have some barns. I have a, a 4013B for retirement that I've had now for almost 15 years. I have some very modest investments. And when I say modest, I mean very modest. I have a modest savings account. But a conversation that I had with Beth just a few years ago, not that long ago, but just a few years ago when I talked about savings and when I talked about being tighter with our money and, and she, she would admit this, this is a conversation that we had. It was for the purpose of being able to be more generous with what we had. That was the conversation that we had. And I'm not going to say that I'm always a perfect model for this. But this is exactly where my heart is. This is what we build our barns for. So that we are able to make an eternal investment in the lives of other people. And I get it. I, I know what you're used to. I know this is upside down compared to the things that we usually talk about when we're looking at the future. But we are literally resident aliens and pilgrims in this place. And our lives are to be lived. See, this is what's going to bring people in the church. When they see radical generosity, when they see that kind of radical difference based on the way we live and what we do with our money, it makes all the difference in the world. Now, this next statement that I'm going to make is going to be one of the most valuable lessons that some of you will ever hear as it applies to your money as a follower of Jesus. And it's going to be really, really hard. I'm going to go ahead and promise you that. And it's this. Kingdom investment values surrender over stockpile. Kingdom investment values surrender over stockpile. What does stockpile create with interest? More money. That's a good thing. That feels good. And it also provides a tremendous amount of security for people like us. I like security. I like as a... As a as a father of three and a family of five, I like security. I like to not have to worry about some of the things when the unexpected in life, the AC system breaks down. All of a sudden, you sign your kid up for something that's really expensive. All of a sudden, you know, maybe Beth calls me and says, the van's making a funny noise. Like, we want to make sure that we're prepared. We love the security and that security is very important. I'm not saying that that kind of security, a lot of it, that there's anything wrong with it. But what we're talking about is excess. And what we're talking about is more and more and more and more. Kingdom investment values surrender over stockpile every single time. Verses 20 and 21. But God said to him, you know, you, you're building these bigger barns. You're doing all these things. You think you've, you've built your future. You think now you're going to relax. And so many people have this mindset. It's like their life doesn't even begin until they're 65 years old. And then they're going to live the high life and never worry about anything else. This is what I have to say. God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. And who's going to get these things that you've prepared for yourself? 
You, you spent so much time try, trying to build these barns, trying to have more. And in your life, maybe you're like, we want to be at this point. You've got this dollar amount. You've got this time that you want to retire. You've got these investments that you want to see them this way until when you're 40 years old. All of these things in our lives. This is what I want my money to look like. And he says, you're going to die. And who's going to get all this stuff that you've prepared for yourself? This is the way that it will be for those people who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. Or do not see the value and the purpose and the depth and the meaning in what kingdom value and kingdom investment really looks like. So as I was thinking about our passages from last week, you know, when Jesus is telling the, the disciples not to take anything with them for the journey. And we were talking about another, another rich man who wanted to keep all his stuff. And today we talk about this issue with greed. And we talk about hoarding things for ourselves and trying to keep these things and trying to stockpile. This is what I started to think about through my study. Why do we believe that this stuff, these rules, these commandments, this kingdom investment, why do we believe that it applies to people in the New Testament and doesn't apply to us? Like, why do we think that Jesus is having this really hard conversation with this man in which he's saying, you have to part with these things or they are going to destroy you? Why do we think that they apply 2,000 years ago? But in 2022, a man like me doesn't also have to face this crossroads of really, really hard decisions that you shouldn't have to sit down with your spouse. And as you guys consider all of these things that you want to do with your money that are about you and about your family fun and about all this stuff that has to do with you, why are we exempt from those sacrifices that are made in the first century? My answer, we're not at all. It's just that we have been built and we've grown up in a culture that does not talk about that. And often that voice is so loud in the church that it drowns out these very parables that are telling us how we're supposed to live. Randy Alcorn suggested this, and this is incredibly convicting. He said, today there are two kinds of disciples. Only two kinds of disciples. One who gives his possession and income to further the calls in full-time ministry. So those of you that are crazy enough, like my family, you will, once a, you will once a year get a bag for appreciation, that's for sure. But you're crazy enough, like my family, to, to, to fully invest everything as far as your income and, and everything in your future into this. He said, that's one kind. And the other one is those who earn incomes to generously support the same cause, which is the local church. Meaning some of you don't feel called into this work, and I get that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, it's the, it's the expectation that your life is spent moving the local church forward. Now listen to this. There is not a third kind of disciple who does whatever he or she feels like with their money and possessions and fails to use it for the kingdom. 
want you to think about that today. And a couple important points. The first is this. Greed, which is what this story is about, can never prepare you to be a Christ-centered giver. It's never going to prepare you. If you're always, me, 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 how can I get the best deal? How can I do this? How can I do that? And constantly pulling everything in for yourself, it's never going to prepare you for what you need to be. John D. Rockefeller, most wealthy man in the world at that time, was asked one time, how much money is enough? Like, is it $100,000 a year? Is it $200 million a year? How much money is enough? Does anybody know what he said? A little bit more. He said, just a little bit more. And that's the viewpoint that so many people have. Their income goes up, but then everything that they're buying, everything that they're spending on goes up. So it's always a little bit more. What does Jesus say in verse 15? Watch out. Guard yourself. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. It will destroy you. It's going to destroy your life. It's going to destroy everything that you can see. Even if it's a pair of shoes you want or something that you want, before you think about giving what you've got to give to the local church, watch out. It will destroy you. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions. But also bad priorities can never make you a Christ-centered giver. And for a lot of people, listen, I know a lot of you. In fact, I don't know if I could identify through personal conversation and relationships that I have with so many of you. I don't think I could identify anybody in, in this church that I would consider to be greedy. But maybe some of you, if you took a close enough look, maybe you have some really, really bad priorities. Bad priorities can never prepare you to be a Christ-centered giver. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you to do something. And this doesn't take 15 minutes to do. Get online. Look at your bank statement. Statement. See what you spend your money on. Try to calculate the percentage that you would consider to be wasteful and the percentage that you would consider to be kingdom investment that is actually advancing the gospel in your life. And many of us, many of us look at this and we become sad because we know that the problem is not that we're greedy, but we just have really, really bad priorities with our money. So the question that you have to ask yourself, am I making with my life, and please understand this, this is not optional. If you're visiting church, if you're kind of on the fence about Christianity and there's like a lot of doubts, that's one thing. But if you call yourself a follower of Jesus... If you're in this same camp that some of us are, are trying to be in, in which we're pursuing this with everything in our lives, this is not something that you can conveniently leave out. This is an investment that you must make. So now I'll go to the fun part. Why should a person or why should a family give to the local church? Why should they? Why should a person do that? I'm going to start by telling you some of the wrong reasons. And maybe some of you that are in here right now that are very regular givers, maybe you give for the wrong reasons. This is what it's all about right here. I'm not getting into today 10%, 15%, 
whatever's in your wallet on Sunday morning, anything like that. I'm not talking about anything like that, but here's some of the wrong answers for why people give to the, the local church. Wrong answer number one is what I would call the answer of virtue. I would just call that the answer of virtue because some people will say, because it's the right thing to do. I give to the local church because it's the right thing to do. And there are people that you know that don't really understand and don't connect that with mission. But the reason that they give is because they feel like it's the right thing to do. If other people are giving, if we want to keep the lights on, if we want to continue to have this, that, the other, it's the right thing to do. Wrong answer number two for giving to the local church is the answer of affluence. I just call it the answer of affluence. And this is some people recognize that they can afford, they're comfortable. Some of you in here maybe are comfortable financially, and there's nothing wrong with that. But some people think that because I'm comfortable and because I can afford to give, and that's where the problem is. Because some people say, I can't afford to give, you can't afford not to give. If you understand that everything in your life, every substance, every material possession, every, your, the, the breath in your lungs, that everything, that when you get a paycheck, that it comes from God, everything is His. And that has to be the place that we start. But for so many people, the answer of affluence is, well, we're doing pretty good. We're doing better than most. So we can chip in and help out a little bit. Wrong answer number three is the answer of ego. And you don't know why a lot of people give to the local church? Because it makes them feel good. It makes them feel good. Some people even have, and this is bizarre to me. I have no idea where this came from. But some people look at heaven and hell almost like this tally system to where if they check off enough good, they'll get there. And if, or if the good outweighs the bad in their life, that might be how they get there. So if they can give to a greater cause or they can give to the local church and it makes them feel good about who they are, then they're probably in a pretty good position. This is very important because this is the only reason that matters. When you give to the local church in the Pauline sense in the New Testament, when you give, the only thing that matters is this. You support the mission of the church. You support what the local church is. Not about keeping lights on. Not about paying a pastor. Not about having good coffee. Not about any of those kinds of things, but you believe in the advancement of the gospel, period. And you understand that that is a kingdom investment. If you're giving for any other reason, I would consider not giving. I might want to rethink that later. But on a serious note, that is why we give. Because we are advancing the gospel and the mission of the local church and no other reason. What you do with this message today is completely your business. Some of you may want to think about it and say, well, I agree with Matt, I disagree with Matt, I feel this way, I feel that he was right about this, wrong about this. However you want to view it is completely up to you. But I will leave you with this. Mission is accomplished through faith that has been activated. Faith that's been activated. Not just saying the word faith, not just, not, not just using this. This is a noun, but it's a verb. Faith that has been activated in our lives. Faith cannot be activated in your life until you trust God 
with the things that you cherish the most. Otherwise, it's just a word. You know, people say all the time, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I, I trust God for this. Well, you got to go to God for that. Well, you got you, you to gotta go to God for this. Well, I'll be praying for you. And it's just words. Like so many people just use these words all the time. Just words, 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 words. But this concept of faith, this idea of faith, it's never been activated in their life because they still hold on to all the things that they cherish the most. There's this, there's this lack of comfort whenever you step out in confession and repentance into this new place. Whatever it may be that you care about, whatever it is that you're holding on to, it is so difficult, it's impossible to move forward in your relationship with Christ if your faith has not been activated through action. So earlier I proposed this familiar story. If we're constantly working hard, we should become successful. We've heard that our entire lives. If we're constantly working hard, we should be successful. Over time, this hard work should lead to more money. That's the hope. You know, you're climbing the ladder. More versatility with our decisions. And a greater life for our family. Now, this is how Jesus concludes the parable with the rich fool. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. And for every single person that's in this room right now and listening online, one day we are all going to die. Now, who will get the things you have prepared for yourself. This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. We have one chance. We have one opportunity on this side of heaven to get it right. And not just as it applies to giving, but all these other areas of our lives. One chance and one opportunity to get it right. So as it applies to giving or all these other areas of your life, there are a zillion what ifs. What if we can't pay our bills? What if I make this particular decision and she leaves me? What if I quit doing this and then, and then just feel like I'm going to explode with anxiety because I'm, I'm so uncomfortable? What if this? What if that? And the truth is that whenever we get past the layer upon layer upon layer of religiosity, that there's something here that the ancients called the way. And it's radically different than how we see much of this faith practiced. And what I'm asking you to do, what I'm pleading with you, what I'm inviting you to do, because it's such a privilege is to walk into this today. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed. You may be in here this morning and, and you know, and maybe it is greed, maybe it's just the, the discomfort of, of not knowing what to do next or how to do it. But you know that there is this area with your finances, that there is this struggle, and you need to bring that before God this morning. 
because you're holding on to some stuff. There are others of you in here, and it may not apply to money at all, but you're on a brand new journey in your faith with trying to give something up, with trying to let go of something that is destroying your family. It's hurting your kids. Maybe it's hurting your finances and has nothing to do with greed. But you're in a place where you know that the expectation for your life is so much more. As we close out today, my prayer is that you'll make a decision based on the things that we have talked about, that you'll go home, that you'll talk with your spouse. If you're single, that you'll make a plan. But also that Jesus transforms every single ounce of your being. Father, we love you. We praise you. We lift you up for all you do. We thank you for the work that you're doing at Believer's Church. And I pray, Father, right now that you speak deeply into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit Believer'sChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.